This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 35 of Retired Racehorse Radio on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you today by Kentucky Performance Products and Bates Saddles. Retired Racehorse Radio is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. Brought to you in cooperation with the Retired Racehorse Project and New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program. On today's show, we have Jen Reutz, the director of the Retired Racehorse Project, joining us to give us an update on the Thoroughbred Makeover for October. We chat with Dr. Stuart Brown, who is the new equine safety director for Keeneland Racetrack, to talk about his new role and the changes he's hoping to bring. And Jamie answers our listeners' training questions as well, which is always a good time. And if we can wrap it all up with new vocations, where Sarah and Leandra bring us some news and our adoptable horse of the week. Stay tuned. And they're off on Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. This is Jamie Jennings in Norman, Oklahoma. And this is Joy Hills trying not to sweat in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and you're listening to Retired Racehorse Radio. How's it going, Joy? How's life? What do you mean sweaty? You're in Michigan, for God's sake. Yeah, it's oh like my. 95 degrees and 100% humidity. I am a northerner, Jamie. This isn't normal. I this feel like right. you're being a little dramatic. It cannot be 100% humidity and 95 degrees. People would die up in your state. Oh, my God. Michiganders would like just literally die. Yeah, we're are just you not serious? going outside. We're just staying inside. <laughs> my poor horses yeah. are just there, like just eating. I guess it's the equivalent of meat sweats. Just <laughs> hay sweats. They, they eat and they have just butt sweat glistening on them. Like you haven't even worked. Oh man. I know I picked up some horses today from horse and hound to come down for training. And I just can't get them out of the trailer fast enough because being in a trailer at this time of year is so dangerous, you know? So I have everything open and believe it or not, it's probably about 89, 90 degrees here with, you know, some humidity, Mm -hmm. not a hundred percent, but it sounds like it's better in Oklahoma than it is Michigan right now. But you know, they had a little bit of sweat, but I was pretty happy with how they traveled. So just keeping them moving, keeping all the windows open, just trying to be safe. I can imagine. So, I mean, it's just an interesting time. I don't even know. I know people who are showing you know, over the last couple of weeks, just small shows, obviously with everything going on with the pandemic, which we'll kind of get into with one of our guests later today. But yeah, it's, I couldn't imagine being out there this weekend trying to do a dressage show in a coat and oh my gosh. Do you know what though? I think back to when I was a kid doing horse shows, that was like, you know, a little while ago, a couple years ago, <laughs> and there was no tech fabric joy. You were wearing uh, hard a pass. cotton shirt <laughs> and I mean, I showed in my brother's Sunday school jacket and it was a wool Sunday school jacket. Mm-hmm. That is what I had <laughs> is what it is. And tall rubber boots. Oh my God. I was so jealous that the girls had leather boots, but then they couldn't get them on and I could just pull on my rubber boots. But yeah, the, the clothing for horse shows has changed so much. I mean, you might as well have a dang built in air conditioning and half of these jackets are so nice, but yeah, I remember that now you in the wintertime, don't you have a heated vest or something? Yes, because technology is amazing. <laughs> I guess I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. 
here I am, like I have a wool show coat that I got out of my yeah. brother's Sunday school. You I know, should probably but... check my privilege at the door on that one, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you make a fair point, Jamie. I really shouldn't be complaining about how hot it is because let's face it, no one cares how sweaty we are, but they are going to care about <laughs> All the amazing updates we have coming. You know, we have some really great guests today. But first, let's take it to our premier sponsor, Kentucky Performance Products. She swallowed hard as they walked into the start box. She could feel his muscles tense under her leg. Five, four, three, two, one. Have a great ride. She didn't have to ask. He galloped out of the box and across the field toward their first training level course. His ears pricked. Her heart pounded. He attacked each obstacle with confidence, clearing them with room to spare. A huge smile broke out on her face as she crossed through the finish flags. She leaned forward and buried her face in his neck. Their bond of love and trust blocked out all else. This love story is brought to you by Elevate. Research proven to have superior bioavailability. Elevate supplies the essential vitamin E often missing from the equine diet. Its all-natural formula supports healthy muscle and nerve functions. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Call 859-873-2974 or visit kppusa.com to order today. Well, we have Jen Reutz returning to Retired Racehorse Radio. You've heard her on our show before. She's the director of the Retired Racehorse Project. And she's coming on today to give us an update of what's going on with the makeover for 2020. Welcome to the show, Jen. Thanks for having me. How are you doing through this non-traditional year? <laughs> I would say it's uh, it's had a lot of ups and downs. Had more horse time in than normal. but And that's always a plus. But yeah, it's definitely been an unpredictable year. And I can't imagine it been any easier for you guys at the Retired Resource Project? Yeah. I mean, usually in the spring into the summer, we're on the road at major events. Like, you know, we do a lot at the Land Rover Kentucky three-day event. We do a lot of Briarfest. We do Equitana later in the year. Like, we're always on the go trying to put on clinics to teach people how to retrain off-track thoroughbreds or seminars mm. or having our booth and selling merchandise and all of that is not happening just like everyone else's events and plans and work lives all that is not happening so it's definitely been different but we've tried to kind of pivot which I feel like is the word of 2020 mm-hmm. pivot into doing more virtual executions of our mission like we did a we did a series that's ongoing called five minute clinic where we get professional trainers from different disciplines to give a clinic on a simple exercise or skill that they think is very helpful in retraining racehorses. So we've had people like Lainey Ashker did one, Buck Davidson did one, Stevie McCarran did one. So it's been like a nice way to kind of reinvent ourselves a little bit, but yeah, it's a different year. That's definitely a creative solution, though, because I I can't imagine how your competitors for the year are doing as well, trying to get their horses on track when everything is kind of going off the rails across the country. You know, have you been communicating with them on what's coming up or how to prepare? Well, yeah. So we announced this week, as people may or may not have heard, um, that we have had to postpone this year's thoroughbred makeover. Mm -hmm. We're definitely not canceling it because our number one priority was not to take away opportunities from our competitors who are taking these horses off of the track and preparing them for this year's makeover. But 
you know, there were so many factors we were thinking about. We sent survey to our competitors, actually one in April, one in June, just asking them kind of how they were affected by the pandemic, how Mm -hmm. they were feeling about how prepared their horses, how they were affected financially. We also, you know, we're a nonprofit, so we were affected financially, just Mm -hmm. like every other nonprofit in the country was our fundraising is down. And a lot of our sponsors have been affected as well. And their ability to invest the way they typically do in their sponsorships is also down in a lot of cases. And so we also looked, you know, what the horse park is requiring for their COVID-19 risk management procedures. They adopted all of the USCF rules, which means no spectators, no hospitality, and a lot of stringent guidelines. So we went, you know, line by line through their guidelines to try to see how that would affect us and what the cost would be. And so the cost is over $15,000 just to implement all of those guidelines. But at the same time, you can't have spectators, you can't do a vendor fair and can't do hospitality and you can't do a competitor party. And so all these things that we use to monetize the makeover and we get sponsored, we can't do this year. And so part of what we asked the competitors and the survey we sent them is, you know, if we couldn't have a vendor fair, if we couldn't have a competitor party, you know, if we had to make all of these changes we would have to make, how would that affect the enjoyment of the event for you? And the majority of them said it would be a significantly less enjoyable event for them. So we kind of factored all of that in and talked with our board about it. And the board and the staff came to a unanimous decision to postpone the makeover. So next year, we've already booked our dates with the horse park, it's going to be October 12th through 17th, and we're going to do a double makeover. So Ooh. 2020 horses can compete in 2020 classes, and then the 2021 horses will compete in separate classes. So that was the best shot we had at retaining prize money for the people who are preparing horses this year, and also just putting them in the position to prepare their horses the way they want to, instead of kind of being behind the eight ball and being rushed and not having access. Like for a lot of them, they didn't have access to elective veterinary procedures, for example, Mm -hmm. from March until June. So like if the horse needed injections or a chip removed or needed chiropractic adjustments or, you know, PEMF or any of that kind of stuff, they couldn't do it. So that put a lot of people behind right there. Even if they could ride, they couldn't, you know, so we're just trying to do it's in the best interest for the competitors and for the horses and mm-hmm. obviously for the long-term viability of our organization as well. Absolutely. But I mean, we're not just keeping riders safe, obviously with, you know, everything happening with the pandemic, but it is keeping horses safe and making sure they're able to compete at the best of their ability. And I mean, yes, it's a bummer. We don't get to go to the horse park this year and see the makeover, but it's the first double makeover. I mean, that's going to be such a contrast and such an event for people to look forward to because it's the first one. It's an experience. Yeah. We keep joking in the office. It's going to be a mega makeover extravaganza. Um, I want that t-shirt, Jen. (laughs) <laughs> I, know. I know we need to make that happen but like Kirsten Green in our office is mm-hmm. so good about logistics and so we really looked at how many hours of competition are in a typical competition day and how many rings we have available and how many horses we would think we'd have and how many disciplines they'd be competing in all that kind of stuff and really thought through how can we make this happen and accommodate double the horses 
you know? So it's going to be a really cool event. I'm excited about it. I'm just bummed for the people this year that it's not happening this year, but it was, you know, like I said, there's so many different factors that weigh into it. At the end of the day, we're a nonprofit and we're just not in the financial position to be able to spread ourselves so thin without the support of sponsorship and monetizing events, you know, but in light of not being able to do the competition side, we are going to be able to do some really cool virtual initiatives. Like we're going to have our ASPCA makeover marketplace that we do every year on site. And we usually, you know, we print catalogs and send those out to a mailing list and whatnot. We're going to be able to expand that this year. We're going to make that virtual. The marketplace catalogs will go out to everyone who gets our magazine that has a 10,000 piece distribution. Plus we're going to expand who we get that to in other ways as well. And since we're not going to be marketing the makeover itself, a lot of our marketing budget can be invested in marketing these thoroughbreds as sport horse prospects to the equestrian world. So I actually think that might be a silver lining to all of this, that we're really going to be able to bolster the ASTCA makeover marketplace. And then we'll do other virtual initiatives too, like a virtual vendor fair and webinars and virtual clinics, stuff like that. So we'll try to still have as much educational content and information, just fun stuff as we can in a year that is full of camps, you know? Oh, that's really making lemonade out of lemons though. And it's, it's so exciting. And we're here to support it a hundred percent of the way too. If people want to learn more about how they can find these virtual clinics and keep up with the ASPCA makeover marketplace, where would you recommend them to go, Jen? They can go to tbmakeover.org. That's the makeover website, or they can go to retiredracehorse.org, or they can email info at retiredracehorse.org if they have any specific questions or just if there's any way we can help them. You know, it's just like nobody saw the pandemic coming. I keep joking that it's like you look both ways before you cross the street and you think you're being safe and then you get hit by a plane. Like Mm -hmm. you just cannot prepare for anything this year. So we're trying to do what's best for everyone and retain as many possibilities for people as we can. Oh, thank you guys for putting the effort and keeping all of our horses and us safe. We appreciate it. Thanks, Jen. For sure. Thanks. Bates Saddles offer highly specialized saddles for every discipline, engineered to bring out the best in you and your horse. Underneath the finest European leather, you will feel the power of innovation. For you, the rider, enjoy instantaneous comfort, optimal balance, and seamless contact with your horse, leaving you free to concentrate on your aids. For your horse, the Care Cushion System and Easy Change Fit solution ensure their absolute comfort and your peace of mind. Revolutionize your riding experience and fulfill your true potential by riding in a Bates saddle. Visit BatesSaddles.com to find out more. That's BatesSaddles.com. Well, we have a special treat tonight. We have Dr. Stuart Brown, who has had a long and amazing career with Haggard Equine Medical Institute, but has just accepted a new role at Keeneland as the Equine Safety Director. So since 2020 is kind of the year about safety, seemed great to have him on the show. Welcome to Retire Resource Radio, Dr. Brown. Well, thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So just very high level, tell us about a little bit about what you have done as an equine vet at Hagard. 
So, you know, I truly grew up in the practice at, at Haggard Equine Medical uh, back in the former days of it being Haggard Davidson McGee. I'm, I was sold and raised here in, in Versailles, Kentucky, so I grew up in the central Kentucky area and was truly a product of the central Kentucky horse population. And I, throughout the time that I spent working on area horse farms with mares and foals and yearlings and stallions in the thoroughbred industry predominantly, I had the great fortune to be mentored along the way by a lot of the veterinarians that were a part of the Hager Davidson McGee practice who took a great interest in me and, and understood my aspirations for becoming an equine practitioner and going to veterinary school. A lot of my motivation was really rested in wanting to do all I could to take care of horses in the greatest extent possible. And so uh, I committed myself to developing a veterinary education and, and, a, and a professional career that allowed me to give back to the horses that I grew up with and got to care for. And I was very, very fortunate over the last 30 years to work on a lot of area horse farms where I grew up also, you know, working and caring for horses and alongside a lot of the people that I grew up with working in the industry that cared for those horses. And so I've really sort of been living the dream, so to speak, throughout uh, my veterinary career uh, and, and, and I got to have the great opportunity to come home and practice in this, uh, in this practice that has such a storied tradition of uh, working in so many of the uh, aspects of the thoroughbred industry and the people that, uh, that take care of these great horses. You can, you can tell just the way you're talking about it. Like you are a man who got his dream job. That is amazing. <laughs> oh man, that's Well, great. you know, it, it's really, it's, I've really been very, very blessed and very, very fortunate. I, I, and I tell a lot of people when I go and have served on committees and commissions and different things that I do that are away from here and tell them about, you know, what this industry is really about. Cause living here in what is the factory floor of the thoroughbred industry, I tell people all the time, I have the best view of anyone sitting in the room outside my office window as I travel around on the farms and going to the to the places that I get to take care of the patients I see every day. So how do you expect all of your you know expertise as an equine vet to play a role in your new position as the equine safety director? You know, I really think, you know, I have uh, also, again, been blessed with this incredible opportunity to fulfill a role that the Keeneland Association, which is such a huge part of the community that that is part of the central Kentucky landscape of the thoroughbred industry, that they've had this uh, time-honored, you know, promise that is based upon service to this industry and to this area. And at the top of that pyramid has really been this commitment to the horse. You know, it was an, an entity that was built by horsemen in this area to support the industry here. And part of their evolution in terms of the footprint that they have for being leaders for the thoroughbred industry also, you know, rests in this commitment to the horse. And so, you know, given this opportunity and looking at what they are looking to accomplish and sort of having a role for an equine safety director over all their operations, both in racing and in sales, you know, provides me an opportunity to take all these experiences that I've had both as a horseman here, you know, growing up in this area and working, you know, within the sort of nursery bed of, of the thoroughbred industry. And then to have a career like I've had that I actually got to spend a lot of time with horses is in their juvenile part of their life, you know, growing up and being raised on these farms. And then to 
help them participate in their racing careers, you know, in terms of looking after their care for a lot of the clients that I would consult with, and then actually to care for a lot of them when they come back in retirement, both as fruit bears and stallions, you know, has given me a really tremendous bank of, I've sort of built this in this unique toolkit. And over the last, oh, I'd say 15 years of my professional career, I've also had this opportunity to work alongside a lot of my colleagues that are racetrack practitioners serving on a number of committees and commissions that I have been on and to gain a lot of insight about the things that they're trying to do to advocate for the horse. And I'd like to think that this, you know, really unique opportunity to give back to an industry that's meant so much to me, you know, really resonated a lot with me with this opportunity with Keeneland because I can provide this really unique interface for the horses that obviously I've committed a lifetime to caring for that are that make up our industry, but also, you know, helping to bring some understanding of what all these different groups do and participation in this industry that they bring to to uh, ultimately to caring for the horse. And so it gives me an incredible opportunity in terms of advocacy for uh, for all those horses and the opportunity to give back. Absolutely. Oh man, that's fantastic. And I hold on. I got to say too, say, Hey, Dr. Brown, it's Jamie. I got to say the view at your office doesn't suck either. I mean, come on. (laughs) It's pretty nice. It's uh, it's, we're very, very fortunate to to be here in, in, in in central Kentucky. It's, uh, you know, even in, in, in the hotter summer months, it's still a very, very Mm. beautiful place to be. And, uh, I'd have to say it's always a place I look forward to coming home to when I leave and and go away from here. Yeah. It's always nice to come home, especially when you're going home on Monday morning, you got to go to the office and your office is Keeneland. So (laughs) I get it in the morning. There's not a more, yeah, there's not a more beautiful place and magical place to be at Keeneland. I galloped racehorses there when I was a, when I was a kid and I mean that you just, there's something magical about, about driving in for sure. So what are some of the changes that you plan on making at Keeneland as far as being the safety officer? Yeah, you know, I think as, you know, specifically relative to the racing of the equation, there's been an awful lot that's been dedicated in the industry to what can we do for risk prevention? What are the things that we can implement across the industry to help, you know, identify the horse that might be at risk, those horses that we definitely want to try to help or to assist that are in competition or in race training that, you know, may be little clues or things that we can kind of sort out to kind of help to protect horses ultimately. We know, you know, there are lots of things that we we certainly can identify that are things that have been seen and we've learned about through the equine injury database that the jockey club and other groups have helped to present. Uh, the work of Tim Parkin and a lot of folks has given us really good insights to things that we can do to help care for the racing equine athlete. You know, ultimately the thoroughbred horse is such a versatile you know, athlete is such a versatile individual. And many of those horses, you know, also have tremendous careers even beyond flat racing, you know, or even steeplechase uh, racing. Hence this show, Retired Racehorse Radio, that you're currently talking on. And that and that's such a and that's actually been a really big part of uh, of my life as well. Somebody who's also bred and raised horses and had race horses, you know, and taken a number of those horses and 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 
and, you know, reacquired a lot of the ones that I've bred or raised that have gone on into eventing careers. And so, you know, the things that we do in racing, the things that we're doing to advocate for their safety, you know, translate into things even after their racing careers are over. All the things that we do are comprehensive in terms of their care. And so the things that we can do working alongside you know, the private practitioners that make up the colony of people that are working with the horsemen and the trainers at Keeneland that care for those horses to help advocate for their interest and for caring for those horses in the ultimate way is providing greater and greater resources to take care of those those equine athletes. And well, so one of the things that we know really hope to build on there is more and more of this taking this information that we've begun to acquire and then utilizing that in terms of putting it in place to advocate for those for those horses and working with the horsemen. And when you talk about information that you're utilizing, I know that Keeneland, along with, I believe, Churchill, you guys are kind of in the forefront of banning Lasix. Well, and so what, what we have worked on, you know, and, and I worked on as well as chairman of the Equine Drug Research Council, along with Keeneland and Churchill Downs and the horsemen in the state and the veterinarians was to, you know, it's been difficult for the industry to get its its hands wrapped around the Lasix issue. And it's obviously been, quote unquote, kind of a lightning rod issue for the industry. And one of the places to sort of start with is where do we go from here? You know, it's the, you, whether you're pro-Lasix or you're against Lasix, you know, we certainly recognize that there, you know, have been challenges as to where Lasix really fits into the landscape of controlling EIPH. And so as we seek to learn more and more about the condition, as we seek to learn more and more about other potential treatments for the condition that may be more effective with Lasix, we also wrestle with the fact that internationally, we can, we are often cast to be way out of step with the rest of the world. And so one of the things that's happened with Churchill and Keeneland have supported, especially as they're doing now, is writing races for two-year-olds that are LASIKs-free. Because one of the things that we, you know, we struggle with now from the standpoint of put, I mean, seeing so many horses put on LASIKs is we don't really know the true incidence number. And so we've been a part of within the Kentucky horse racing circuit, looking for ways to kind of move toward taking Lasix out of race day, assessing, you know, how those horses, you know, do with or without Lasix use, but also supporting the population of horses that are older and three and four year olds that are non-stakes competition in years ahead to have them in Lasix free you know, races that are in stakes competition, but supporting those horses that may need it, that are the sort of lower level, uh, lower grade leaders that, you know, are trying to maintain good pulmonary health so that they can stay in race training. So, yes, you're right. We've been in the forefront of trying to, quote unquote, move the needle on the Lasix issue. Mm-hmm. Now, for those that don't know, Lasix is a diuretic that they started giving to horses that they would bleed exercise induced pulmonary hemorrhaging. And how, just for those listening, how did Lasix become so popular? It became a drug that everybody uses no matter whether they've been proven to have bleeding or not. Well, and so one of the things that I think that, you know, has kind of happened with EIPH over the years is lots and lots of folks have, you know, been in a situation where Lasix use has sort of been rooted in, you know, how do we best care for the equine athlete? And so it's, it's efficient. It's a, it's effective sometimes in varying degrees, and it's also been inexpensive. And it's also been something that we could also regulate. So we know that the integrity part of 
caring for the racehorse is also in, you know, good uh, drug testing methodology so that we can make sure that we care for the racehorse so that we know that we're protecting the racing athlete. And Lasix as an adjunct, you know, medication for prevention of EIPH or for bleeding in the racehorse is something that we can regulate. And so it's been professed, you know, in terms of its use to protect, you know, the health of the lungs of a racing athlete and in so much as a welfare issue and taking care of those racing athletes, we've often looked at it as sort of uh, something that we could use as a preventative because we're trying to prevent future episodes of that. Now, today, as it exists, we find that a lot of horses are actually on this Lasix bleeder medication, whether or not they've actually really demonstrated the need. And so what we're trying to do now is step back from that, understand better about what the true need is for it, and then be able to be in the best position to advocate for the racing athlete. And so that's where we find our, think ourselves today and trying to sort of be in a better seek to understand position about its use. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now I believe op- is opening day in a couple of days. So yes, uh, Keeneland's going to have this short summer meet that begins on, on the 8th. So, Which is um, unusual be, because it's usually April correct. and October, but That's now right. it's going to be interesting because Keeneland, uh, which is a very bustling place on any race day, no spectators. <laughs> no spectators, right. And so now, you know, it's going to be, as we've all experienced with the pandemic and the COVID-19 situation, you know, we've been fortunate enough in a lot of situations because horses have been, continued to be trained on many of these racetrack uh, locations, we're at least been fortunate to actually have racing continue, but have had to do it all spectatorless. And so, you know, through simulcasting and whatnot, at least the signal has been able to be maintained for people to watch, you know, these, you know, majestic horses in competition, but obviously without, you know, the surroundings of, of a crowd. And so many racetracks are now beginning to try to look at, you know, whether or not we can allow owners, which Keeneland's going to try to do, you know, for their race meet so that at least those people can come and participate in the actual racing experience. But this unique meet will be like none other at Keeneland where, you know, it's obviously a place that's highly coveted socially for lots of people to go and to enjoy racing and to have the experiences racing as it was meant to be, you know, and, and, uh, it'll be a very, very unique summer meet this time since we were unable to have and host the uh, spring meet in April. Wow. Amazing. Well, it, it's going to be something to watch for sure. It'll be strange not seeing all those, those, you know, dressed up people in the, in the crowd, but, but it'll be interesting. Well, listen, thank you so much for so much of your time. I know you guys have a, a big fundraiser coming up, but Dr. Brown, uh, obviously we appreciate your time and thank you for coming on and we hope we can check back in with you another time. Absolutely. I'd, I'd enjoy it. And thanks for all you're doing for, for the, on the aftercare side of the need to advocate for the thoroughbred horse and be happy to help anytime or anywhere we can. So thank well, you so it's, much for it's all you. Well, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Hopefully we're going to talk right. to, we're going to, we're going to hunt down your new president because that's pretty awesome. You have a new woman president at yeah. Keeneland. So that's yeah, awesome. Shannon Arvin's great. Yeah. She would be a wonderful person for you all to, uh, to have an interview as well. All right. Fantastic. Well, we'll get in touch with you so we can get in touch with her. (laughs) Thank you so much. Have a great night. You all have a good day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And from the back of the pack on the outside, commanding firm is taken second, but California Chrome shines bright in the Kentucky Derby. And now it's time for the New Vocations Winner's Circle Adoptable Horse of the Week. 
Well, Leandra, thank you so much for being on with us from New Vocations. And when I clicked on the Adoptable Horse of the Week, I actually audibly said, oh my God, he's so pretty. Like, he is so pretty. Tell me about number one. Let me tell you, he's a 2017 15 three hand bay, dark bay gelding, not a lick of white on him, which I love, but he's just drop dead gorgeous. Now his name is storyteller. He's a gelding. Why the heck is his barn name Beyonce? (laughs) (laughs) Good question. Uh, He is Beyonce because my crew at the barn, my riders were inspired by Beyonce's song ego which I will totally admit I hadn't heard before. And now it's the thing that gets stuck in my head every single day. And I'm not mad about it, but he has such a big ego. He's one of those horses that can march into the room or ring in this case, and you can't miss him. And I actually, I'll do, I'll take a one step back and say, he does actually have white on him. You just can't see it. He's all tiny star that hides under his forelock. But little asterisk to that as well is he has a white, speckling on the front of his left front leg that I've never seen before. It's not like bird catcher spots. It's like, it looks <gasps> like, is brind- that like almost is? like brindling white. And I just thought he had some, some powder of our- on him or something. No, like, it looks like a dusting of baby white powder. Marking. Okay. That's yeah, crazy. No, it, that's like, a, it's like his fairy dust. Somebody, they just blotted <laughs> it right on him, but he has, so back to the ego component of it, they call him Beyonce because of his ego. He just is one of those horses who's like, if he were a person, we would describe him as outgoing. You know, it's like he, he has that loud energy and he is unforgiving. And because of that, you're kind of drawn to him and he's gorgeous, obviously. So that whole package there, it just has the zest and the attitude and the whole appeal of Beyonce. So that's who, despite the gender difference, we just felt he needed to have that. But he's a chunky 15-3. I think some people, they hear 15-3 and they say, well, is that 16? So I don't want it. And for for some reason, 16 just seems to be the cutoff. And I yeah. always have to remind people it's just an inch difference. And with these guys, he's three years old. So chances are he's going to grow a little. He's going to grow. Yeah. My horse, even I'm five, seven and my horse is 15, three. He just grows sideways. But if you watch <laughs> me ride him, I don't look out of place on him. My leg doesn't go below his belly. So it really depends on the body size. And he just has that chunkier, bigger yeah. build. He does. So, He's a bigger, bigger dude. Now he never I'm raced. Assuming then, that's correct. So you were saying I was going to ask what? you if you saw his video, actually. Oh no, I haven't seen the video yet. Hold on, because uh, I was like, I was coming up with a name for him, and I think that like his name would have been like Jay Z if he's got an ego yep. and like Beyonce. I mean, come on, I'm just here. Uh, yep. I, I don't disagree with you, but it's one of those things that just was like a sticky name. And now, like, just like with the song, I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> but gotcha. of course, we we hope that anybody who adopts him takes embraces whatever name they choose to name. But just as a shout out to the, the his 
spirit animal as a human, I would say <laughs> Beyonce was what had come to mind. But so I asked about the video because he, this is a horse who was the transformation butterfly of this process where he just loved to play and not to focus under saddle at first. But I am super proud of my rider, Julie, and this horse and their process together in growing because he really shows you what a developed and focused young horse he is becoming. He, you could see him trying to give to the bed. You could see him really trying to engage his hind end. And he's one of those horses who I think is wow. just going to continue mm-hmm. to become more and more amazing. So I just am so proud of both of them in that video because they just, I mean, what a package. And I think that he'll continue, like I said, to make that progress with his adopter, hopefully. So we're looking for the right kind of person who can take a joke because he likes to give them still, he has that ego. And I think that with the right kind of person who can have that sort of soft seed and soft hand and not suppress that personality, but sort of embrace it and be able to package all that energy that Mm -hmm. they're going to go on and do great things. We keep having ideas at the same time. I know because we're that good. Well, I did notice that he (laughs) formerly had a bow, but they've treated it with everything. Stem cells, shockwave, laser. Oh my God, they did everything. So uh, what a lucky horse to have that much treatment on an injury like that. And heck, it looks pretty darn sound to me. I know I'm watching his canner and and I'm just like, oh, he's so dreamy. You're not going to see it. And if I told you he had a bow and you're just looking at these pictures, chances are you're not going to see it right off the bat. It's not one of those things where you can see it from across the field. He just has it in his history. So it's something to be mindful of. And of course, being conscious of that moving forward and considering what he's going to be able to do. Sure. But I think this is one of those kind of horses who he's going to determine what he's going to do and nobody's going to tell him otherwise. So just going to take the right kind of person to team up with him because he's at that big energy fast wit and so he just needs somebody who's on the same page as him and then it'll be unstoppable Wow. Cool. Well, Hey, as usual, I like to surprise you with a question about training and I'm going to make it no different today. I'm just going to throw something out because this actually, I ask our listeners what they wanted to hear from you and me coming up with all these questions for thoroughbreds. So let me see here. Courtney says, relaxation. I'm struggling to find relaxation in my transitions, both up and down in the quicker gates like trot and tacaner. What can I do to encourage a relaxed kind of state in these and also to, to stretch and relax in the bridle? That's a great question. So there are a lot of different parts to it and a lot of different places that you could start to work on that. But absolutely, relaxation is going to be the key component there because to work with a horse who is not relaxed is not going to get you very far. So how do you encourage them to be relaxed? And that's that's the the real question to it. There's no easy answer because every horse is a little bit different. So something that I would look at right off the bat, because you're wanting to get to the root of why do they rush? Why aren't they relaxed? So I like to sometimes take a step back even and work on them on the lunge line or long lining, if that's something you're comfortable with, and just look at how they move without a rider on their back, because we all know that we can sometimes contribute even 
totally subconsciously to tension or improper movement. And so sometimes, you know, as a team, you, the rider and the horse, you have to be able to recognize where those weaknesses are and be able to address them on both sides. So I like to take a step back, lunge the horse, work on them in transitions and see, do they act the same? Are they still rushing even when you don't have somebody on their back? What is their movement like? Because a lot of times when they're rushing or uncomfortable, you're coming from a place of conditioning. And that can be maybe a component of weakness or discomfort. Mm-hmm. And then also the psychological side of maybe there is trained conditioning, conditioned behavior. So if it's a horse on the track and you're asking them to canter, maybe the way you're asking them isn't the way they're used to, or maybe they just were used to rushing into everything just from their previous experience. So that's just what they're familiar with or it can be so many different levels of things. So, and you might not ever get those sort of answers about like previous training and all that. So you have to break down the pieces of it. So starting on the ground, looking at what they're doing on their own is a great way to do that. And then when you're doing that, you can introduce things like ground poles and cavalettis that can not only make them cognizant of where their feet are, but also to act as sort of like a breaker if they start to get unwound that they have to pay attention to this thing. They have to pick up their feet. And so that Mm -hmm. they're not maybe necessarily thinking about rushing the same sort of way under saddle. One of the things that I like to work on, I guess is many, again, many different ways that you can go about this, but all the pieces that go into those transitions, um, might also help you if you're going through those steps to identify any points of weakness or discomfort. And so that could be like, if you're working, to adjust, I like I like to break it down into the long side and the short side of a ring, or just pick a side. And so you could try shortening and lengthening stride. So sometimes I'll do shortening on the short side and lengthening on the long side, and just have them get in those rhythms. So it, they're still transitions, but less remarkable for lack of better word. So yeah. you can work on those baby steps even in between the different gates. And then when you're working on even things like leg yielding, all those pieces are going to help you in the bigger movements like transitioning. And then another component that I actually, it made me think about more, I had heard and it's sort of um, old school cowboy sort of rhetoric who I was learning from, but it always made me think about it. Um, One of the ways that this he was doing teaching sort of like trick training um teaching a horse to relax to the point that they could teach them to lie down even when the rider was on their back was to continue to encourage piece by piece not in big steps just little baby bites the horse to bring its head down and sometimes people will brace their elbows um, and that creates a disconnect. So when I'm saying ask them to lower their head, you're actually going to be raising your hand a little bit and closing your leg and sort of touching the hairs sort of way. Like you're not really putting pressure on, but sort of just touching the hairs on their side with your legs. Yeah. A and little inside so rain, inside just, leg, they flex at the pole yeah. or they drop their head and you soften and it's like that exactly. button. Yeah. And it gets exactly lower and lower. That. The, the only but thing yeah, I would add, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the only thing I would add in those transitions is that, you know, sometimes 
especially an off the track thoroughbred, if you, if you think of like asking a horse to go forward with leg pressure is like from zero to 10, zero is you right. thought about right. asking and 10 is like a big old whopping kick, you know, like, mm-hmm. are you asking the horse with a standard six and maybe your horse needs a two, you know, like to mm-hmm. think about how, how mm-hmm. you're actually asking your horse to go. Like if you're like, Oh my God, he's going to go really fast in this transition. I'm going to ask mm-hmm. him to trot, but then I'm going to ask him to go. And then he's going to go too fast. And I'm okay. I'm just, I'm just going to ask, boom. And you squeeze them. Mm-hmm. Well, of course they're going to blast off because your oh, body totally. and your anxiety have told them that something's coming and I should fear it. You know, I'm not talking yeah. about you, person asking the question listener, uh, just in general. So just always think about like, how can you dial it down? How can you bring your physiology a little bit lower? But as always, you know, I surprise you with questions and you answer them amazingly. And Leandra, you're the best and we appreciate everything that you do. And thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Well, it's been a minute since we've had Sarah on from New Vocations, but she's coming in with some cool updates and some things that are happening. Sarah, welcome back to Retired Resource Radio. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us all the news at New Vocations right now. (laughs) So it has been, I feel like all of us have been a little bit on hold before we've been ready to uh, gallop into our fall events, but we are New Vocations is full steam ahead with our hunter jumper horse show and also our dressage horse show. So we are very much looking forward to opening our entries. Hopefully this week they will be online for, you know, COVID referrals and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we have a couple of different additions to our hunter jumper horse show, which are, I, I think are exciting personally. We actually this year will start on Thursday instead of Friday with a welcome stake in the Rolex Arena, which will be our three foot, three, three and three, six jumpers, which we're very excited to welcome. And we also have added a costume class, which, of course, for those of us who like to relive our childhood are very important. Um, We are really excited to welcome, you know, our people that might not be able to do a lot of the over fences classes. We're hopeful that they will enter some of our pleasures and in hands and our, of course, costume class. Uh, the other kind of exciting thing is we actually had nearly 80 war horses last year, which a war horse by our definition is over 50 starts or one over $100,000. So we actually had to split that division for both in hand and under saddle. So that's been really, really exciting to be able to say, you know, look at these amazing horses who have done so well on the track and are able to now come into, you know, horse show competition and Sarah, show what they can I do have, in second careers. I have a question about that war horse definition, because what if it's like one horse in a stakes race and it wins a hundred thousand dollars in like one race, is that still called a war horse? So I have discussions yes. with friends about this. Really? Yeah. We do. Yes. We consider them that for our horse show in particular, which is also kind of, you know, the other thing that we're really adamant about is that we don't count any format of blemish. You know what I mean? If they've got a bowed tendon, if they have, you know, anything that's visible, these horses have clearly proved that they have staying power on the track and we want them to be rewarded in the show ring as well. That's awesome. Okay. Well, I lost that bet. (laughs) (laughs) well i apologize for that (laughs) (laughs) so that's great so what are some of the other classes you guys have Mm -hmm. besides the over fences you've got costume Uh, you said in hand classes what are those like 
We do. So we have a couple different classes. We have mares and geldings in our hunter jumper show and our dressage show is separate. So we actually denote them by fillies, geldings and a certain age definition. But we basically seek to, you know, the, the horses that do the best, not always the best, but that do well on the track are generally your very beautifully defined thoroughbred. And we like to be able to show them off in hand. But we've also added to the dressage show in particular, we also added a combined test, which has been asked for for multiple years. So we're excited to be able to offer that as well as, of course, the costume in hand. We always do a thoroughbred recognition ceremony in both horse shows. And we used to be able to invite them in with their horses, but we had 450 horses at the last horse show, which was slightly overwhelming in the Rolex. So now we invite them instead of standing there so we can get pictures, we invite them to bring their horses in in hand, walk them through the arena, get some pictures taken and get recognized for for being there. Wow. That's amazing. So if someone wants, are you guys allowing spectators at this or is there going to be virtual spectating? How does that work? That is a very good question. We basically are deferring to the Kentucky Horse Park for their most up-to-date, you know, COVID regulations. We are hoping, 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 hoping that at least by then the the classes that will go in the Rolex because their stadium is so large that they will be able to socially distance in there. We're also really excited. We've gotten permission to show the Kentucky Derby actually runs on our Hunter Jumper Horse Show. Wow. So we'll be able to, yeah, so we'll be able to show that on the Jumbotron and really kind of celebrate, you know, a lot of the horses that are horse showing with us were bred in Kentucky and it's kind of a full circle, you know, here, here are the athletes running on the track and then in the ring are the athletes that have retired from the track. So we're hopeful that we will be able to have spectators because we're always very thankful that for the cheering fans in the stands. Oh, that's so neat. And what an experience like that never gets to happen, obviously. How we got here isn't great, but still we're making the best out of a bad situation. And that's so fun. So where can people find more information on the horse show and how to follow it and how to get excited for it? Because I I definitely am. Absolutely. So they can go to newvocations.org. We have an events tab that the horse show is on. Um, Also, our social media kind of follows the different prizes we offer. We actually also do a stall decorating contest, which is like a kind of like a tailgate contest. We offer awards for the most spirited barn who comes. Last year, it was actually a barn from Louisiana who won. They dressed all their horses up and all their stalls up like Mardi Gras. So we always encourage, you know, people to follow our, our Facebook and Instagram as well, because we'll post there just in case they can't get to the Kentucky Horse Park in September. Oh, I'm going to the wrong horse shows. I need to go to this one. Thank you so much yes. Sarah, for bringing this on. It sounds like a fun time and it's something for us to look forward to for sure. Awesome. Thank you guys. Appreciate you. Well, most of our listeners know that Jamie is a certified Monty Roberts instructor, but for anyone who's new, sometimes we like to do training questions that our listeners bring on if they're an auditor in the HRN auditor page. So we have a question, Jamie, from Kelly, who says, my OTTB has a serious bolting issue. Mm. If you trot, no problem at all. But anytime he canters, it's like three strides of okay, and then his brain is just gone. It feels like there is nothing left to communicate with and it becomes extremely dangerous. I've tried running into the walls, trees, anything, but it's like he just doesn't care and just goes faster. What do you recommend for her to do? Okay. So this is tricky because it's sometimes different with thoroughbreds. And so the thing you want to do if you're generally thinking about training horses is to take the value out of the bad behavior. And 
in this situation, I find most of the time that bolting horses are pretty, they're pretty lazy horses. And that sounds weird, but a horse that bolts bolts because they're going to, they're going to get pulled up. They're going to stop because they're going to get run into a fence or run into a tree uh, or run into something just like you're doing Kelly, which is absolutely the thing I would think to do, which is like, Oh my God, stop this freight train from running away with me. So something that I like to do with, and, and I, I can't say that Usually with a thoroughbred, I would, okay, let's pick up the canner. When they bolt, I would teardrop back to the rail, stop, back them up, canner off again. If they blast off again, teardrop back around to the wall, stop at the wall and back up. Tear and do that. And sometimes teardrop to the left, teardrop to the right. That's a really good exercise for a thoroughbred. But it seems like if you've given, if you've tried those things, there's one thing you haven't tried. And this is going to sound super weird. <clears throat> you're going to keep super loose reins and you're going to maybe, you know, just a little light contact with your horse's mouth just so they know you're there. And you're going to go to the walk and you're going to go to the trot. And what I don't know is if the horse is taking off on the canter itself or just all of a sudden blasting off. And either way, you're going to do the same thing. If it's the horse trots and then picks up the canter itself and then picks up the gallop or whether the horse all of a sudden just goes to farts and takes off the same thing you're going to try is if the teardrop back up, teardrop back up, back, you know, teardrop under the rail back up doesn't work. You're going to actually make them work harder. And it sounds crazy, but make sure a couple things. First of all, always make sure your horse does not have a chiropractic, medical, saddle fitting, ulcer, all of the things blanket, make sure your horse is okay. Put some good boots on. Be in an arena with great footing because what you're going to do is your horse bolts. As your horse bolts, think that all they want to do is stop. So Joy, if your horse just wants to stop and they show a behavior, what is the one thing you could think to do of a horse that wants to stop so it takes off? Oh, the one mm. thing I... Oh. Make, it, make it run. Make it oh, keep going. The one thing but, I don't want to do. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. And you've got to have somebody who's, who, you know, they, I'm not saying if you're a beginner, I Kelly, I don't know how you ride. I, I, I always encourage people to send me videos of the behavior so I can act because it's kind of hard on the radio when I haven't seen anything. But the thing is you make that horse, you take the value out of the behavior. The horse has found out that if I blast off, they stop me. I win. I get to stop. Even though bolting is more exercise and more work, they still get to stop. And then you're like, oh my God. And then you get off because you're like scared and nor because that's a human thing. So what you want to do is find somebody, if you're not comfortable doing it to actually, when the horse bolts, pick up that inside rein and put them on a circle and let them gallop their nuts off on a circle, but like, not like a 50 meter circle. We're talking like a 15 meter circle. And, and, and circle five or six or seven times, let them go once they can't gallop in a 15 meter circle for too terribly long. So once they start to slow down, let them go straight. And then they're going to go, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God, I got to bolt. And they're going to bolt and you're going to go, okay, that's totally awesome. Let's bolt. And we're going to bolt in this 15 meter circle five to seven times. And they're going to go, Oh crap, that sucks. Okay. They're going to slow down. Their heart rate's going to tell them stop. They're going to, you know, their lungs are telling them this sucks. Then they slow down and you go, okay, let's go straight. And then they go straight and they canter off. And then they're like, oh my God, I got a bolt. 
And you're like, that would be awesome. Let's totally bolt. Here we go. And you bolt in a circle. And again, you have to make sure that your horse is sound healthy, your footing is good, and that you're an appropriate rider for this exercise. But that will fix it in like, I think the last bolter I had within six days, six, seven rides was cantering on while I was holding the buckle. And it just, you have to be really consistent with it and really have your timing right on it. And to me, that is the way that I fix bolters. But again, you have to be in a place where you're safe. So make sure you're safe first. Great tips, Jamie. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I love helping people. If you guys have any more questions, you can find me over at Flyover Farms, Flyover Farm, Jamie Jennings, certified Monty Roberts instructor, Facebook page, and ask me questions there. I'm happy to help. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on the website at retiredracehorseradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search for Retired Racehorse Radio. You can follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio or I have a Facebook page, Flyover Farm, Jamie Jennings, Certified Monty Roberts Instructor, or email me at jamie at horseradionetwork.com. You can find me at Joy H. Equestrian on Instagram or email me at joy at horseradionetwork.com. Thank you so much to our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products and Bait Saddles. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Remember to set your goals high and love to learn from every ride. And spay, neuter, and geld. Bye, guys. Bye.